Amen. Thank you, Keith and choir, orchestra. You might have noticed Pastor Edgar is not with us today. He's on vacation, went away for spring break, and I'm excited about that. He is not a pastor that takes his vacation very well. He's just kind of a workaholic. He's always in the office working and just loves the ministry and the work of the church. And, and if, you, if, if you've ever followed Edgar for very long, you realize that he's uh, very dedicated to his work. Pastor Chuck is not here as well today. Uh, he's at our south campus. Um, we're celebrating one year of starting our new work at the south campus. So isn't that great? Last week, uh, they had 118 for worship, and that's just fabulous. So less than a year, already a year, and already 118 attending worship. Uh, we're just really excited about what God is doing. You know, that is one of those things that God ordained. Um, we uh, had this young couple just come to church, Pastor Javier and Annette, and, and uh, they came with Carlos Sol, their, uh, Annette's father, and they didn't know what their future looked like. They just trusted God for their future. And uh, in the providence of God, as they began just to lay work here uh, with the Hispanic community, uh, God opened up a church and a location, and, and we hired them then to be the pastors of that south campus. And today, that church is thriving and growing. They have a great facility, wonderful lay workers, and we're just excited about what God is doing in the life of Grace Point South. You are a big part of that. Uh, we help to make sure that that happens uh, financially as well as uh, with our support of our laymen and prayer support and support from the leadership of the church. And so thank you. Thank you for looking outward and reaching to the needs of those in the south part of our community. Well, I encourage you to turn your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 42. Isaiah chapter 42, verses 1 through 4. If you brought your Bibles with you, I encourage you to hold that. Um, we will have the scripture up on the PowerPoint for you as well. Isaiah chapter 42, verses 1 through 4. The scripture says, Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him, and he brings forth justice to the nations. He will not cry out or raise a voice. He will not make his voice heard in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. A dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. He will faithfully bring forth justice, and he will not be disheartened or crushed until he has established justice in the earth. Let us pray. Lord, we pray your blessing upon the reading of your word. We pray that you would speak to us today through the scripture. We're listening, Lord. Speak to us, Lord. We pray this in your wonderful name. Just to give you a brief introduction to chapter 42, I would like you to notice that in chapter 41, there's a court scene that's going on. It's in that first few voice verses. We don't have that on the PowerPoint for you. God calls the Gentile nations to stand before the bar of judgment. God is the judge. He's the, the prosecuting attorney. He's the jury. It's kind of like Andy Griffin. How many of you watch Maryberry and know Andy Griffin and, and uh, Barney? Well, Barney will arrest someone for maybe a parking violation or something and, and bring him into court. And there's Andy. Andy is not only the sheriff, but he's also the judge and the jury. And he, he's the law of that town. Well, in this situation, God is God. 
And he calls together the nations and he asks them the question, who will bring about justice? This is the case that is before him. This is the court, the issue in the court that day. So the nations are called upon to give an answer to the solution of the problem of mankind. You see, humanity has struggled and God is saying we need to find an answer to this problem. Who among you will bring about that answer? We think of our own economic crisis and the crisis that we're in as a world, and as a nation, and we are looking for someone to rise up and to take a stand. We have different opinions on how it should be handled. Should we spend ourselves into economic prosperity or should we tighten our belts? And there's differing opinions, but we are always going to come up short because the answer doesn't, rely, doesn't rest upon men. So you see, we find this truth was true then and it's true now. In verse 28 and 29 of chapter 41, we find that they had nothing to say. Verse 28 says, I looked, but there was no one, no one among them to give counsel. No one to give answers when I asked them. See, they are all false. Their deeds among amount to nothing. Their images are but wind and confusion. So God calls, who among you, who among you will bring justice to the nations? And he found them wanting. The nations had nothing to say. But then another figure appears here in chapter 42 in this courtroom scene. And it's the servant of the Lord. And we find it in that first verse. Behold, Jesus, God says, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him and he will bring forth justice to the nations. God is the one who will bring forth justice. And he does it through his son, Jesus Christ. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John proclaim the life of Jesus Christ. There we find this story, his story, in every page of the Gospels of Jesus Christ. But the reality is the entire Bible, from Genesis to Revelations, speak of the coming of Christ and Christ's life. In these prophetic messages, we find information concerning his birth, his life, his suffering, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Jesus is held forth in these prophetic utterances throughout the pages because He is all that we need. He is the sum and the substance of our theology. He is the Alpha. He is the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. He is the first and the last. He is Christ. In Christ alone, we ought to put our trust. He ought to be the center of our faith. And it is in Christ that we put our faith. God holds Jesus up for us to see. In this first verse, in chapter 42, He shouts, Behold, My servant. It sounds much like John the Baptist. When John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. God holds up His Son. And He says, Behold, My servant whom I uphold, My chosen one in whom My soul delights. Look at Him. Gaze upon Him. The word behold carries with it this connotation that we're not just to, we're to look continually at Him. We've been talking a lot about prayer these days. Pastor wants us to become a house of prayer. And one of the key elements to prayer is to praise our Lord. And so we need to look upon Him. We need to behold Him. We need to behold His glory. We need to look around at the majesty of His creation. We need to acknowledge that He is God, that He is Creator God, that He is King. 
We need to behold who he is. And so there is that call to us to behold Jesus. We are to fix our gaze upon him. We are to look and to look and to look again. In Hebrews chapter 12, it says we are instructed to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Nothing to the right, nothing to the left, but Jesus alone. Don't, don't be sidetracked. Don't allow yourself to look at those around you and say, I'm doing better than that guy. No, don't compare yourself to others. Compare yourself to Jesus. We're to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. The scripture goes on in Hebrews to say, Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning his shame. Christ died so that we might, what? Have life. So that we might have this right relationship with him. And we need to behold his glory. We need to look upon him. I'm particularly fond of this passage in Isaiah, Isaiah 42 because it speaks to me about God's grace and his mercy. And it gives us insight into the heart and the mind of God. It tells us something about the depth and the breadth of His love for mankind, for you and and for me. It shows us why Jesus went to the cross and suffered and died for you and for me. Look at verse 3 of chapter 42 of Isaiah. It says, A bruised reed He will not break. A dimly burning wick He will not extinguish. The Hebrew children would often go down to the river to play. I, I can see in my mind's eye these children playing in the river. I guess it's easy for me to see that because I remember playing in the river as a child, swinging out and dropping into the water, doing a little backflip here and there, or or going to the pool as a lifeguard and hearing the clamoring of the children as they played. And as I yelled, walk! Walk! You know, that's that's basically all a lifeguard does is say, walk! And uh, it's easy for me to see. It's so easy for me to see these children playing in a river. Well, in that river there would be reeds growing, and they were plentiful. And it was common for them to take those reeds and and to cut them down and then find a perfect reed to make a flute to play with. And they they loved to take those reeds and make flutes, and they would play. And they would throw away any reed that was bruised, and they would break it in half because it wasn't any good for anything. And there was all kinds of perfect reeds out there, and so they were looking for the perfect reed to make the perfect flute. Well, this story is a story about you and me. You see, we are those bruised reeds. It's about our humanity. Bruised reeds can easily be seen as a symbol of people. And I believe that's what Isaiah is talking about here. Actually, the word bruised is used by him and the writers and other writers to to go along with the word oppression. It refers to oppression. It's also used to refer to discouragement that we go through. We've all been bruised reeds from time to time. We've all experienced times when we've felt oppressed and discouraged in life. Bruised reeds. On your journey of faith, have there been times when you felt like a bruised reed? Blown by the winds of adversity, the hardships of life. Every May, it seems like every other May, every other year, we have an annual, biannual garage sale at our house. Uh, it's one of those things that either somebody's having a garage sale and we gather up our stuff and take it to their garage sale and Debbie helps and supports and we sell stuff out of their garage or, or we sell stuff out of our garage and, and we've accumulated stuff. And, uh, 
and we put it out on tables, and I'm thinking, nobody wants this junk. <laughs> I don't want this junk anymore. And you maybe sell them eighty, one hundred dollars worth of stuff, and you think after the two days, why did I do this? Why, why did we take two days of work to put out all this stuff for a garage sale and let all these strangers walk into our garage and? And uh, then we get it all done, and, and I look across the tables and see what's left, and I think, nobody wants this stuff. I mean, all of Fort Wayne has been to my garage, and nobody wants this stuff. And I certainly don't want it going back into my attic or back into my garage, and so I gather it up, and, and I take it to the Goodwill, and I ring the back door, and it buzzes, and the guy comes out, and, and I start carrying the stuff out of my box, and I start having this tinge of guilt. I think, is this really a worthy donation? After all, Fort Wayne has come to my door, and they didn't want it. And like many of you, I give it to the guy and I think, well, oh well, it's one man's junk, it's another man's treasure. And I hand it over. You see, we live in a very disposable society. And if we're not careful, that boils over into our relationships. And we live in a society that's so mobile that people become disposable to us. That's the peril of our circumstance. The sacredness of life. The very fact that as a nation, we're not willing to take a strong stand for the unborn speaks to our willingness to be a part of a disposable society. That's a hard truth. It's a hard truth for me to swallow. It's a hard thing for, for me to understand. We read about the pornographic objectivity of women and children and the music that's played. and We live in a disposable society. Our relationships with people, places, and things have become temporary. We're so mobile as a people. The average American moves every six years. I didn't realize that. Every six years. While divorce rates are declining in our nation, still nearly half of all those who marry will end in divorce. We move, we change jobs, we are unable to develop, many are unable to develop long-term relationships. In effect, we are quick to feel like we're disposable. Rejected, lonely, depressed, unloved, inadequate, defective. These are among the bruised reeds, the dimly burning wicks that Isaiah speaks of. It may surprise you to know that, that people can feel this way even in the midst of an accepting community like Grace Point. People can feel this way even though they may be at the top of the ladder professionally and personally. I can't express to you how many times I've heard over the years individuals share with me, it seems like everyone in the church is looking down at me. Now, it may not even be true, but they feel that way. You see, the truth of the matter is the church generally wants to come alongside and hope and encourage and support and, and, and love and help people through their times of trouble. But because of divorce or a child who has gone astray or a wrong that was committed and, and made public, People often become bruised reeds. Have you ever felt like a bruised reed? 
A bruised reed He will not break, and a dimly burning wick He will not extinguish. He will not break a bruised reed, and He will also not extinguish a dimly burning wick. The Hebrew homes, of course, didn't have electricity or lights. They had, lamp, they had lamps that were, lit, that were lit with oil. They had a, had a wick in them, and the wick was often just linen or flax. And as long as that oil was in the lamp, the, the wick would burn. But often the, the oil would dry up and, and the wick would begin to smolder. All it needed was an, in, an infusion of new oil. And what they would commonly do is once that began to happen, it would smell a little bit and smoke up the house. And so they would just expose of that flax or that linen wick. But he is not going to do that. You see the scripture here? Verse 3. A bruised reed he will not break, and a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. Again, these wicks can be compared to people. They represent people who are exhausted or burned out in their Christian lives. We have all burnt dimly from time to time, and we have met others who have done the same. Have you ever had those moments in, in your journey of faith where it just seems like you just couldn't get back on the mountain, you were in the valley? Through a difficult time. It's often in the valley that God develops us and helps us to become stronger. Most of you know that I have an uncanny sense of balance. Maybe that comes because of my years of gymnastics and skydiving and skiing and all that kind of stuff, but I have an uncanny sense of balance. I mean, what can I say? However, right, lately I, uh, I had rotator cup surgery and, and uh, for five weeks ago and so they put my arm in a sling, and, and I had to do that for a while, and I've taken it out now, and I, but I still can't, I can't lift my arm away from my side. Last night, I had, uh, we had the grandbabies over, and I tried to pick up Aubrey to put her on my lap, and I couldn't do it. I've kind of lost that sense of an uncanny sense of balance. I mean, I can't even raise my arm away from my side. And sometimes the circumstances of life can be demoralizing, can't they? I mean, after all, I'm known for having an uncanny sense of balance. And yet I couldn't catch myself today if I were to fall forward, at least not with this left hand. I'd have to do it with the right. The truth is, circumstances of life come, and they can either make us stronger in our faith, or we can be like these candles, these wicks that burn dim, dimly. And the secret is, is an influx, an infilling of the Holy Spirit. Allowing the Holy Spirit, the oil of the Holy Spirit to come and dwell in us and to fill us, to help us along our way. A bruised reed he will not break and a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. In 2 Corinthians 12:9, it says... His power is perfected in our weakness. The reality is God will use those weak moments to make us stronger when we rely upon Him. It goes on to say, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it says that God chose the weak things of the world rather than the strong. God chose us not because we have so much to offer, but because He can do something in our lives to make a difference in our world. 
when we are those bruised reeds, we need to understand that God hasn't given up on us. He is the reed repair, the flax restorer. He is the one who takes a bruised reed and works with it until it plays beautiful music again. I think of Peter. Peter who denied Christ three times. His story is found in John chapter 21, verses 15 through 17. Peter denied Christ. Peter was the one who was quick to draw his sword, quick to stand firm, quick and the impetuous one. And he said to Jesus, I will never betray you. And yet that night, he betrayed him three times. And we find this story in John chapter 21, verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, this is after Jesus had appeared and Jesus said, go tell the disciples and Peter that I'm coming. Singled out Peter. He probably had to single out Peter because Peter was alone because he was embarrassed because of the decisions he made that night. We're not sure of that. But Peter needed to be restored. And this is the story of restoration. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Jesus uses the word agape, love. Do you love me more than these? And Peter answers, yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. And he uses the word for friend. You know you're my best friend. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Using agape. He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Using the word friend. You know that you're my best friend. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. You see, Peter did not feel worthy to use the same words that Jesus used because he had fallen and he had made a mistake and he didn't feel like he could say he loved God so much that he would do anything because he fell, he failed. So Jesus restores Peter. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. You see, God wants to restore us. Jesus had a plan for Peter to play in the orchestra on Pentecost. He wanted to restore this bruised reed. The man who couldn't testify to a servant in front of a fire stood up in front of a thousand people, thousands and thousands of people, and on that day, three thousand people were saved. You see, God is in the business of taking broken people and making them into something who can testify to His glory. I want to look at a couple of other scriptures. Revelation chapter three, verse sixteen, speaks to me a little bit about this light. You see, we're to be a light. We need to have the infilling of the Holy Spirit. But sometimes, if we're not careful, we allow the circumstances of life to allow our light to flicker and almost to burn out. And we need to allow the Holy Spirit to fill us in such a way that that we're able to live above those circumstances. You see, He is our answer. Let's look at that Scripture. Revelations chapter 3. This is to the church at Sardis. Now, Sardis was um, one of seven churches. There were five churches that were um, reprimanded, that the Lord had found fault with them, and there were two that were commended. 
for their faith. The two that were commended, one was the persecuting church, and the other church was an evangelistic church. And I found it's true. Whenever we as a church, a local body here, turn outward and, and look at ways that we can reach out to our community and don't think so much about ourselves but think about others, you know, uh, world evangelism, all those things, it makes a difference in our relationship right here, in our fellowship right here. When we're an evangelistic church, it helps us to continue to grow forward. Or the other church is a, a persecuted church. Well, there were five that were commit, condemned, were, were uh, reprimanded. And this church was Sardis. It says, I know your deeds. I know that you have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not, for, for I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Obey it and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know what time I will come. We have to be careful not to allow the circumstances of life to put out the light that God has given to us. Another scripture we find is in Revelation is 3.15. Revelation is 3.15. The scripture says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my life. You say, I am rich, and I have acquired wealth, and I do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched and pitiful and poor and blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich. And white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameless nakedness. And salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Behold, behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom my soul delights. Fix your eyes on Jesus. A bruised reed he will not break, and a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. God wants to give you the presence and the power of his Holy Spirit to empower you through the difficult moments of life. The truth is everyone in this room at one time or another has felt like a bruised reed. For me, it was my teenage years. Um, I was accepted Christ, and I started coming to the church. My parents had gone through a divorce, and, and I came alone. I noticed that everybody in the youth group, they, their parents were all there, and I was alone. You see, it's easy to think people are thinking things about you, and they weren't thinking that at all. But if we're not careful, we can allow that, the circumstances to put out the light that God has given to us. Don't be that bruised reed. We're going to open the altars in just a moment. We're going to sing a song. It's a familiar song to all of us. You are my strength when I am weak. You are the treasure that I seek. You are my all in all. The Lord is our strength. He is our all in all. When you're tempted to look to the right or to the left, keep your eyes fixed on Him. And remember that He is the restorer of the bruised reeds. And He will not 
break a dimly burning wick, and a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. Let's sing together. You are my strength when I am weak. You are the treasure that I seek. You are my all in all. Seeking you as a precious jewel. Lord, to give up I'd be a fool. You are my all in all. about you today? How is your relationship with the Lord? Maybe you've been in this journey for a while and your light's not burning as brightly as you would like it to be. And today you just say, Lord, I confess my need of you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I want to burn brightly again. I, I, I don't want to allow the circumstances of life to control my attitude. I don't want to allow the circumstances of life to keep me from being the witness that I need to be for the glory of God. Fill me with the presence of your Holy Spirit. Empower me to make a difference in my world. Use me, Lord, as only you can. Help me. Maybe it's true that you've been in the, this for a while and you feel like a bruised reed and you just need Him to come alongside and strengthen you and to comfort you and to help you. The altars are open. And we invite you to come. Let's sing this song one more time. You are my strength when I am weak. You are the treasure that I seek. You are my all in all. Seeking you as a precious jewel. For to give up I'd be a fool. You are my all in altar right now. We thank you, Lord, for everyone in this room. For the truth is, Lord, we have all at one time or another been a bruised reed. And it's comforting for us to know that you care for us. Help us, Lord, to burn brightly. Help us to rely on the presence and the power of your Holy Spirit as we continue this journey of faith. Help us, Lord, as we endeavor to share Jesus with our world. And now, Lord, would you bless us as we go from this place? Would you help us, Lord, to be a people of prayer? To daily tap into the resource that is ours through Jesus Christ. To understand that you have given us your Holy Spirit to walk with us, to strengthen us, to journey with us. Help us, Lord, not only to be hearers of the Word, but doers of the Word. Empower us, Lord, Lord, to make a difference in our homes, in our workplace, 
our schools for the cause of Christ. And we pray this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you as you go.